0: Greetings. I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFist podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 284, and today's guest is Jordan Scott, founder and CEO of Cobble. For non-technical founders, the thought of building a tech startup might seem very intimidating and downright impossible. But for Jordan, what started out as a blog with editorial recommendations evolved to something much greater, and to kickstart her product, she kept it simple. She thought through how the product might work by drawing rectangles of each screen. Later, she would learn that she was actually wireframing, and that led her to the point where she could narrow things down and then have an MVP built. It's advice that she shares in this podcast, and hopefully, it will be an inspiration for others to just get started down that entrepreneurial path. You don't need to be technical to build a product, as long as you're able to articulate the vision to those who can actually build it. Cabo is solving that long-standing problem that we've all experienced. What do you want to do tonight? which often leads to the response, I don't know, what do you want to do? Cobble is an app that ends this decision-making fatigue for couples or groups and solves this problem through the combination of curated content and a suite of social decision-making tools. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like the pros and cons of being a solo founder, Jordan's background story and her career in media, plus what led her down the path of leaving CBS News to launch a company, all the details on Cobble and how it works, plus how the company was able to have a successful launch during the height of the pandemic, building a product that serves multiple markets and advice on scaling, how to lead as a startup CEO, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that you can get customized job alerts delivered to your inbox every single day? It's a great way to keep informed of the thousands of jobs listed on VentureFizz and have jobs from a specific category sent directly to you. Don't let that career-defining opportunity pass you by. Go to VentureFiz.com slash email to sign up. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Jordan. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Keith. I'm excited to chat.
0: I am really excited to talk to you because we're going to talk about a company that is solving that problem that everybody has experienced. What are we going to do tonight? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. So I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag of what that is in your company because we're going to go deep onto Cobble. But uh, one of the things that I noticed as an entrepreneur, uh, you kind of hear... This mantra that you always need to have a co-founder, right? There needs to be someone else, your yin and your yang, right? That complements your skill set. Yet you're an individual founder of a company. So what are some of the pros and cons that you see from that?
1: Yeah, you know, you're not wrong. I actually was just reading an article the other day that was like the 17 ways that founders fail, or like why companies fail. And I right on there was like, they didn't have another co-founder. And I was mm. like, wow. But then of course, further down the list was co-founder conflict, right? And so <laughs> right. I think that there's definitely um, pros and cons to having you know, people who are in that founder seat with you. Um, for me, Cobble was really um, an organic transition from the original company that I founded, which was called IDK Tonight. And that was just purely a content recommendation um, website and Instagram and newsletter. And I just sort of curated different ideas together and published them and just said, like, people think about doing this tonight. Um, And what I realized was that there were so many content recommendation things out there, whether it was an influencer or a website or whatever. And so I, I realized that the problem really lacked in making a decision on what to actually do. You know, we ended up always having all these lists everywhere, but we, when it came to like actually doing something, we had the, I don't know, what do you want to do tonight conversation? And so what I really set out to do was create something that was both a, recommendation engine and a decision-making sort of tool. Um, so all that is to say, I already was a single founder because I had this sort of small thing that didn't really require a co-founder. Um, and then once I got into Cobble, I'd say the team that I first you know, was able to convince to join me, while they're not co-founders, they are the founding team and they they very much are, my partners in this business and they all have equity and they all um, consider cobble their baby and we've all sort of been in it. And I think I've done an okay job, hopefully of, you know, making people really feel like owners. And so I've never felt alone um, the way that I think some solo founders might uh, because I do feel like I've created a culture where we can lean on each other and um, you know, it doesn't always have to be, all on my shoulders as, as the only founder. So hopefully that answers your question.
0: It does. And I can relate because Venture Fizz, I started it and bootstrapped it and yeah, but I do consider my team. We're all founders of the company because we always, we all have the same level of input. Um, So yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we're all kind of rowing the boat together here. So it's not like uh, there's just a captain and a hierarchy underneath. It's okay. How are we going to get?
1: that sorry to cut you off you bring up a good point which is that exactly there's not like a my way or the highway sort of mentality here i in fact i'm not technical right so of course i lean on my lead back and engineer alex to you know make those decisions for the company and you know we discuss everything and and i i rely on everyone on the team to be um you know the owner of that facet of the business and to go with their ultimate you know recommendation um, unless, of course, I feel like it's completely out of left field, which is extremely, extremely rare. I'm usually convinced otherwise.
0: All right, let's rewind the clock. So where did you grow up and what were you like as a child?
1: Ooh, okay, grew up in Albany, New York in a little suburb called Gilderland. Um, I was very talkative. I often went up to strangers with my tape recorder and asked if I could interview them. Um, and then I would type up the interviews and just keep them in a folder. I asked really hard hitting questions like, why did you choose to wear a gray bathing suit today on the beach? Um, <laughs> and uh, Yeah, that was, that's pretty much what I was like. I think that sums up what I was like as a kid.
0: But, you know, we're going to talk about your career. let talk about a great foundation of like, okay, already a journalistic behavior of asking questions to people. So inquisitive.
1: That is true. And I also had a little bookstore at the top of my driveway where I, I had like this cart that I essentially took um, books out of the house and thought I could sell them for quite a bit of money, including like my dad's law textbooks and things like things that nobody would want to buy. And I would like accost joggers and be like, you want to stop at my bookstore? And um, <laughs> I don't know that that was also I loved I would sit up there for hours. I loved that. I don't I probably sold like three books <laughs> in that
0: whole time, but entrepreneurship and learning sales. So you did sell three and Success. not, being,
1: I think not being afraid of bothering people. You know, I just needed information. I wanted to see what they thought of, of the business, what they think of me standing, sitting up there, you know? So I think there is definitely a little bit of a fearlessness that I do think has stuck with me till today.
0: So when I was preparing for this interview, I was, Going through lots of different, you know, places that you've been interviewed and whatnot, and a common theme that I noticed was like an, an admiration for the American Red Cross. And I think you were asked, like, if you could interview anyone in the world, who would you interview? And it was Clara Barton, the the founder, right? So, how how did that affinity towards the American Red Cross develop?
1: Oh, I love that you're the only person who asked me about that in, in all of this time here that I'm <laughs> talking about Kabul and things. Yes, I have a really, really deep love for the American Red Cross. Um, in high school, um, I came across this campaign that they were doing called like the Heroes Award. And essentially, if you raised $1,000 for the Red Cross, you got this Heroes Award and you went to this dinner and they basically listed off all the heroes and i was like oh this seems like a a cool interesting thing and i just simply used what i think was already a natural talent in high school which was writing and i just wrote a letter and was like this is what the american red cross does they they're they're there no matter you know what you're going through whether your home just burned down or it's like you're a refugee of war. Like they're there for, from the smallest to the biggest thing. And like, I just thought that was so incredible. They're the first to arrive and they're the last to leave. Like it's this, it's just the most amazing organization. And so I wrote all about that in the letter. I stuck it in all my neighbor's mailboxes. I had my dad email it to everybody on his email list and, uh, the money just sort of started rolling in and people were making little donations. And pretty soon I had the $1,000 and, um, the It was so funny because I was only communicating with the Red Cross folks in, in Albany via email. And they were like, wow, Jordan, you you raised this money in just a few weeks. We can't wait to meet you at the dinner. Um, And then they sort of uh, were talking about me to somebody else in the email. And they were like, look at this kid. He did such a good job. And I realized that they thought that I was a guy because of oh, my name. Oh,
0: yeah. hmm
1: And I was like, oh no, like, I'm going to show up to this dinner and I'm like, not who they're expecting. And, um, it was just, it ended up being very funny and they were like, oh my God, you are a very girly girl. Um, and we ended up having (laughs) great time. So all that is a long way of saying that's where it started. Then I went to NYU and I, um, Oh, so in high school, I'm getting all over the place. In high school, after that happened, I then started the a chapter of a Red Cross Club in my high school, which is still going strong. And then when I got to NYU, I joined the Red Cross Club at NYU. And then I became president of that club. And after after college, I just volunteer regularly. My my husband and I do some fun stuff like installing fire alarms and like homes in Brooklyn and stuff. It's pretty fun. But there's always there's cool. always something to do with them. So the the reason I wanted to interview Clara Barton is because I am just so amazed that she took this concept that already existed, right? The red cross and she, she brought it to America. Um, but she just, she was such an incredible early female founder. Like there weren't a lot of female founders around at that point. And to create something that has such legs today is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. It's so, so inspirational. All right. So you talked about NYU. So you did go to school there in perfect. You studied journalism. So talk about like you had a lot of internships along the way. So some of your experiences there before actually you know, graduating.
1: Yeah. So NYU was cool because they, I actually was in a program called Gallatin where you can create your own major. And that was awesome because it sort of allowed me to play with a few different ideas of what I was thinking about studying. Journalism was a big part of that, but I also really loved fiction writing, I've always loved books and screenwriting, always loved movies. And so I sort of combined all three of those different disciplines of writing and ultimately had a pitch to a, a board of why I should graduate based on the classes that I took, um, which is super scary, but it was um, so, uh, so amazing. The feeling of like passing and then graduating and being like, Everyone else sort of has this moment where they finish their classes, they take their last final and they're gra- like, technically they're graduated. But for me, I had to go and pitch essentially, which now looking back, I see that as the entrepreneurial thing that it was. Um, And I, you know, I passed and then that's how I graduated, which was fun. Um, But yeah, being in New York, you just have access to all of the dream companies and jobs you could ever imagine. And so I definitely took full advantage of that and hopped around between print journalism and um, you know, broadcast and uh was at Refinery 29, Cosmo, NBC. My first job out of college was at CBS. And um yeah, it was it was a wild time. I I had something going on every semester of college.
0: <laughs> okay. So it's, you graduate from college, CBS News is your first job out of school right okay so so what were you doing there because i I would imagine this is an industry that uh is highly sought after so you gotta kind of start at the bottom somehow some way so how do you even like get started
1: oh yeah so i was a news associate at cbs this morning which was the morning show now it's called cbs mornings um but when i was there it was gail king charlie rose and Nora o'donnell And, um, what I would consider the dream team, of course, then Charlie had to go and mess some things up, but, uh, you know, that's, that's who I was working with. Um, and my hours were 3.00 AM to 3.00 PM. And it was such a grind, um, but very fast paced. And ultimately the reason I left was because a, I, I had an idea for a business that I thought, you know, now or never, I'm the youngest I'm ever going to be. Let's see if this works. If it doesn't, I'll just Hopefully, have had some sort of experience from trying to do this, and we'll be able to get another job. Um, and then the other reason I left was because I realized that I didn't want anyone else's job at CBS, and so it became apparent that that certainly wasn't the place for me. But maybe after having this entrepreneurial experience, it will become clear where the right place is for me. So I left, and I've just been in this little uh, bubble ever since. <laughs>
0: Well, so let's talk about that because it's bold to just leave and like, did you know what you wanted to do? Like, or did you just, Hey, I'm just going to go figure this out.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because when I did first decide to leave and I started, you know, telling folks that it was my last week and stuff like that, they were all like, ooh, you know, who poached you? Where are you off to? Are you going to NBC? Are you going to Fox? Whatever. And I was like, nope, nobody wanted me. I'm I'm going into doing nothing. Um, I I just got to get out of here and <laughs> figure out what I want to do. Um, and I did have that inkling of an idea um, that was IDK Tonight, um, which was that first sort of editorial uh, recommendation Instagram. And, uh, I simultaneously, of course, was just doing a bunch of freelance work, um, at several startups, which I had never worked for a startup my entire NYU career, which was definitely a mistake. I think if I had any advice to give to college students at the, at right now, it's try out the big, huge companies, the corporations, the shiny names, But also just get into like a tiny startup and like be their TikTok intern or do whatever you need to do um, to just have that experience because I absolutely love startup life and I just would have never known that otherwise. But I was freelancing, I was making, you know, equal if not a little bit more to what I was making at CBS. And then slowly, you know, as IDK Tonight started um, growing an audience and Cobble started to take shape in my mind, um, I cut off those um, part-time sort of freelance jobs and um, gave my full attention to Kabul.
0: Got it. Okay, well, let's talk about the origin. Like you've given some aspects of IDK. So like, just like, where did you get that? Like how far down the path before starting to really see the vision for Kabul?
1: Yeah, I think I've just always been a lover of technology. And so in the back of my mind, I think I always knew i wanted to make an app or i wanted i wanted to make some sort of technology that i would want to use in my day-to-day life and i started with recognizing the problem right i just felt like my then boyfriend now husband we're, we were going back and forth on like what to eat every night and um we had all these ideas like that would sort of pop up randomly but then when it when push came to shove we didn't we didn't know what to do and so i was really really interested in this concept of you know a tool that helps you agree a tool that helps you get the final answer and get get it on the books and everyone's involved and everyone's looped in and everyone knows what what the final choice is and so that was sort of the vision and now you know we had actually originally started focused just on couples because of course I thought this was a couples issue um but our early users very quickly pointed out like I have this issue with people beyond my partner you know I I go out to dinner and I go to events and things with my friends and my family and my colleagues. And so we then expanded into groups and friends and and all the other people that you make decisions with.
0: How do you get started with Cobble and like, okay, you're a fan of technology and always envision yourself building an app, but that is where a lot of people might stop, right? And just like, how do I actually build a platform that's going to do what I'm envisioning?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, I'm not technical, right? But what you can do and what I think we all have the power to do is think through how something might work. Forget about how how you're going to actually get it implemented and who you're going to be able to bring on that can build it just, I I had these pieces of paper and I drew little rectangles of phones and I just drew screens. And I was like this screen, to this screen, to this screen, to this screen, which are, you know, now I've learned that's called a wireframe. Um, but it had a lot of different, you know, text bubbles. And it was like, ooh, this is what this is supposed to do. And it'd be really fun if it moved like this. And it's just, sky's the limit. Like any of us can do that at any time. So, you know, of course the very first version that I drew was like so convoluted and so huge and was so impossible, but at least it was a start. And from there you start narrowing, 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 narrowing until ultimately you get to what's called an MVP, a minimum viable product. And that's what you try to get built. And even that, I'm sure you can make it even smaller. I know I could have made it smaller, Um, but we then went the agency route and we were able to build the very first version. And with that version, we put that out to um, our audience that I had built from IDK Tonight. And then once we got the response from that first version, we were able to raise our seed round.
0: So how did you come up with the name Cobble?
1: Interestingly, uh, my husband, uh, is the, he deserves the credit for the final, uh, pick of cobble, but basically I hosted this broad, this brainstorming session with all of my most creative friends. And I sort of described how I wanted the app to work and what I wanted it to evoke. And, um, essentially we did this exercise where everyone just, uh, brain dumped words, um, and then like would pass the piece of paper to the next person. And they would brain dump words based off of that list. And then we circled five on each piece of paper and put them up on a whiteboard. And we were just sort of looking at the whiteboard and we're like, is anything standing out here? And everybody left. We still didn't come up with something. And then my husband and I were just standing there and he was like, what about this one? It's cobble. Don't you feel like cobble is all about like, cobbling your plans and cobbling your life together with other people. And you're all sort of different shapes and sizes. And, um, you're, and then the last thing was that we were imagining ourselves sort of like walking down a cobblestone street and it was just like the best night. And, uh, then we got the trademark. So that was really, that was the final nail in the coffin.
0: Now I noticed through the timeline, I think on LinkedIn, you, uh, were building it and then you launched in June of 2020. Is that correct? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> okay. So you're you're I just was like empathy to the max when I saw the date. Okay, you've been working so hard on building this product. The world is shut down because of the pandemic and you're yeah. launching it. What was that like?
1: Yeah. Well, we we basically, as you said, like when I started drawing those screens, it was probably late 2018. 2019 was the year of like actually translating those into designs and then finding the right agency to build it that we could afford and then getting the MVP bill and we had the very first version like i had it on my phone in like november of 2019 and we were like okay let's do a spring launch it's when every all the new yorkers emerge out of their holes and they're like let's do stuff and let's have fun and so i was like that's the perfect time to launch um and of course with the pandemic really hitting in march we did decide to pause and say like well no one's going out everything is closed what content can we pivot to producing that still fits the framework of cobble of helping you agree on something Um, and we decided to focus all of our attention on what to watch and what to cook and what to order in from and like basically as businesses were pivoting we pivoted with them and we said like couples are bored in their home like how can we serve them and so we were ready to go with all of this new content as well as the existing content for people to you know see where they matched you know uh before you know these places opened again and we launched in june of 2020 with that
0: yeah you gotta pivot and figure it roll with the punches
1: absolutely
0: all right so fast forward to today so how how, how does it work like you're in multiple markets now so Like talk about how it works.
1: Yeah, so the way it works is, you're right, we're launched in New York City, LA, Atlanta, Miami, perhaps by the time this podcast episode comes out. Um, But essentially you connect with your closest relationships and you start to make a plan in the app. So you know that it's tonight and we can already tell based on prior likes in the app, whether you liked a restaurant, whether your connection liked a restaurant, we can actually tell you, what might be a good few options for dinner tonight so that's number one it's like taking the the work out of like well what what's something that i would like what they would like um we actually can see that information and then you're able to shoot those options off to your connections and they can vote on them and then cobble tells you what the number one choice is and helps to make the reservation buy the tickets whatever it might be
0: so is that the the revenue model is it like so the 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 booking of a reservation or a ticket like is that how ultimately you're generating revenue.
1: That is part of it. There's several facets. Um, But of course, since our main goal is helping drive decisions and driving action, of course, you know, we should get a piece of that, right? If someone's going to a a restaurant, they're making a reservation, we would rather have relationships with the reservation platform versus like the mom and pop restaurant that we're from, right? Um, so there's definitely that revenue share part of it, um, but there's also opportunities for sort of large scale partnerships. And um, of course, the largest opportunity is within the data of just knowing what the ultimate decision is between folks on how they spend their time and money and energy together is, is what's really unique.
0: Acquisition of people to actually use Cobble. You talked about you kind of got, you were able to get a jumpstart with your legacy audience from IDK, but how do you continue to grow an audience? Like that's where other companies fail. It's like, okay, you may get a quick fast follow because people know about you or you're just reaching out to your broader network, but how do you keep that ongoing as far as customer acquisition?
1: I think there's a couple of things there. I think number one, people are always in the market for great content and great ideas. And so that's a really powerful hook that we have is that there is really strong content in Kabul. Um, That's certainly enough for someone to be interested in seeing what we're all about. Um, But number two, the product is really rooted in growth because it's all about having your closest connections to do life together, right? So ultimately we wanna get to a point where if you wanna hang out with me, you gotta have this app. Like This is how we make better, faster, easier decisions together. Um, And so it's sort of just rooted in the product itself to be shareable.
0: And what what have you found like just like the different channels that work effectively? Because, you know, you are a content engine that's a key piece of your business. So that's organic, it's SEO, but then there's the paid element. Mm -hmm. Um, So what different channels have you found to be the most effective outside of more the viral nature or word of mouth?
1: Yeah, so we started with your your good old Facebook Instagram um, and definitely saw a lot of promise there and and continue to do so. Um, We've gotten the lowest cost per install on TikTok so far. Um, I think Cobble lends itself really well to this audience that's just like, give me information quickly and like make me think that I need this thing in my life. So TikTok definitely um, has been a strong channel for us. We just started some Google um, placements and are seeing some crazy low CPIs there. Um, again, we're in this unique position where there aren't a ton of competitors in the space, right? There's a million content competitors, but there's not many decisioning competitors. Um, and so we have a little bit of this uphill battle of, um, educating folks when they Google something like what to do this weekend, that it's not just about the, what it's not just about the idea that you need, you you should think about how it could be so much easier to actually make plans happen, not in a group chat that goes back and forth for 500 years and you end up never going out. Um, there's a better way to do that. And so we have to try to figure out how to show up in the right places at the right time to get our product in front of people.
0: No, we I mentioned, you know, content's a big piece of what you do. And you mentioned there is a lot of competition out there on the content side, but how do you think strategically around content and I think I saw somewhere you like, or I listened uh, to another podcast you're, that you're on where you talked about, we had writers and then we moved to curators. So talk about that and how that creates the flywheel of you know, uh, experience for your consumers and then hopefully more traffic through SEO.
1: Yeah, so exactly right. We did originally have sort of these beautiful editorial descriptions of all the places that were in Kabul, the events, the TV shows. And then we realized, you know, people need fast information to make a decision, right? Like they're not coming to us to be entertained. They're coming to us to get to a quick decision. So what is the minimum information someone needs? And so we ended up creating this editorial tagging system where we have really unique identifiers or attributes about places, whether it's great to bring your in-laws or it's good for a birthday dinner or whatever it might be. And that is 10 times faster than writing. Of course it requires much less skill. It just requires know-how, which we always have curators with boots on the ground in our cities. And, uh, that's what we, that's what we have today. So we are able to produce content much more quickly. Now that's the sort of human element, but what we're moving toward is of course, the ability for partners to have their content in Cobble. So if you already love an influencer or you love the infatuation, you know, we want you to be able to make decisions on that content as well. Like, again, we we care about being the tool and having the right content show up for you and your connections, but Mainly we care about getting you to that decision. So however you want to add the content, whether that's your own content even, right? Say you have a repertoire of, of dishes that you want to add to Cobble that we can then help you figure out what to make on a nightly basis. Like that's also an option.
0: Well, I think what's awesome about Cobble is that there is the combination of the tech meets the human curation part. Yeah. And that I think that's the perfect compliment because I don't want it to be tech just telling me what to do. Um, I love Spotify, but it's gotten to know me so well now where I actually am annoyed. I'm like, I want someone to tell me what, what's that do you
1: want. Do you feel like it's too much of what you already love and not like sort of, like I am so, so bored, bored when I look at Spotify,
0: cause it's same <laughs> artist, same genre, same. And even if I go off the beaten path, it's going to be the same lane over and over again. I'm like, I want to go a different lane that someone tells me from a manual curation like oh if you like this you're probably gonna like this too i mean when i was looking at some of your guides it's like you know uh 10 best fireplaces you know restaurants with fireplaces to visit and i'm like that's cool like i would want to go to a place with a big roar and fire right spotify wouldn't you know i'm going to relate that to the music but it wouldn't tell me that it wouldn't notice say i would be interested in a place with a nice fireplace right so i think
1: tough to walk the line with AI, right? Because at a certain point, yes, you want to show someone something that they're more likely to like because they've liked other things. But- there is this element of showing people stuff that's totally out there to start to continue to you know broaden their horizons and and put content in front of them that you know in Cobble's case right because we're all about collaborative agreement what you and your connections like not just what you like that if there's something a friend of yours likes that you've never heard of never even thought about um, but we think maybe if we put it in front of you it could be a match uh, between the two of you and then maybe you go do it like that's the aha moment that we want to create.
0: All right. So you did raise funding. So what was that experience like, uh, in terms of raising capital?
1: Yeah, we raised just over $3 million at the end of 2020. Um, and it was fun. I mean, of course it's stressful to raise money, but it was, it's something very, very special to get to share your passion and your obsession really with creating something and having other people get excited about it too, and want to be part of it and want to join you on the journey. Um, And so for me, you know, of course there were mostly no's and mostly like, uh, I don't know, we'll come back later whatever. But when you did get folks who totally jumped on the bandwagon and wanted to introduce me to other people that they thought, you know, that is just so invigorating. And we're about to start our series a, which is a different beast, right? That was all angels. And now this is VCs. Um, But I'm hoping that that piece of it remains the same.
0: What are the plans ahead? Like, how do you view the future for Kabul if you had to have like a crystal ball looking a couple of years ahead, which could be eternity?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I see cobble, you know, everywhere, you know, no matter where you are, it helps you figure out what you're going to eat later and what you're going to watch. And um, not only like geographically, it's everywhere, but in terms of the types of decisions you can make, meaning if you need to figure out what mattress to buy for your apartment, you know, Cobble's is going to be able to help you and your partner agree on what the best option is um, and sort of sky's the limit there. You know, we, we want to be the, the place that you make decisions with your people.
0: All right. So building a company is not easy. So what have been some of the biggest lessons learned?
1: Oh gosh. Oh, I think it's super easy. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it's hard. Um, I think the same as everywhere people, right? I mean, there's relationships, there's dynamics, um, that sometimes are really easy and sometimes are not easy. And when you miss hire, that's really hard. Um, and I think people make everything incredible and they also make things difficult, right? So, Learning how to become a good manager and um, how to make sure people feel satisfied in what they're doing, I think is the biggest challenge. And that's aside from actually trying to make, you know, a brand new concept become a reality. Um, But that's the fun part too. So I stress less about that.
0: Like being a, a CEO, you need to be an effective leader. So how did you learn how to lead?
1: I think a lot of it is innate um I think you just have to be comfortable in your own skin and um you know be again excited and willing to share your vision with people and and I think people respond to that um but I personally lead with a lot of empathy and kindness which I don't know how common that is and I I, I actually think that that's also been a hindrance for me um, I think I could move more quickly on, um, when things aren't working out, uh, between people and things like that. But ultimately I think, you know, golden rule, right. I, I treat people how I want to be treated and, um, I'm always working on being a bit tougher, but I also try to give myself credit to just do what feels
0: natural. I think that's the way to go. Cause you don't want to be something that you're not. And I think, um, Treating people how you'd want to be treated always works out in the end.
1: I I, I think so.
0: Uh, at least it, it helps me like sleep at night.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. That,
0: there's a benefit there too. Um, <laughs> now scaling to different markets, I would think would be very challenging. You know, what's the you know, so if you're living in and breathing in New York, you can kind of, big city, a lot going on, but you can kind of like hopefully get the vibe of what's happening and build cobble. Miami, that's a totally different scene, totally different market, restaurant. So how do you go about expanding to to different cities and markets?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's why it's crucial to have curators who live in those cities. Um, They they absolutely need to have boots on the ground, really understanding the pulse of that city and what the people who live there want. Um, And that's the human element, right? But again, we're sort of taking it city by city um while simultaneously discussing how to create a more scalable automatic um sort of ability to launch anywhere so we're sort of keeping our heads down launching you know to at least 10 new markets this year um and then like i said figuring out what we want to do next with with ai all
0: right so i don't know if this is a fair question to ask you cuz it's probably like i can't narrow it down to 3 but three places you love to go to in New York City?
1: Oh, okay. So I love all the qualities, quality eats, quality meats. They are just the gold standard um, of both food and service and just it's they're incredible um but i also love pomodoro on the upper west side it was famously depicted in a seinfeld episode where um i think kramer had a breakup with somebody i should really know the exact detail but it's a famous um famous scene and it's really good italian food um and then oh gosh there's just a million strange funky places but if i had to pick one i think house of yes in bushwick if you just are looking for uh to dance and to see something crazy, um, go there.
0: <laughs> okay. Three apps you can't live without. Obviously we can't include cobble. Yes,
1: yes. Um, well, I really love this one, um, brain training game called elevate. Uh, it's like fast math and like word games and I'm trying to open that app instead of opening Instagram and TikTok. I actually delete Instagram and TikTok for the month of January and I don't miss it at all. I think I might even go into February. We'll see. Um, But I'd say elevate is definitely one of them. I just started this insane mission of trying to run a marathon. So I'm using Nike run club for that. So I'd say that one's pretty top of mind for me. I also love, I am.
0: I am. Okay.
1: And it's really, really great. Anytime you open it, it has just this beautiful affirmation and it feels very applicable.
0: Well, this is like, the, like the, uh, the first one I love, like, oh, you know, right. what, like everyone was doing Wordle for that stretch.
1: I, still like, do I was it. like, well,
0: <laughs> I was like, I like doing this. This is one, like, I, however long it took me to do the Wordle was just a moment where I just was like it was better than doing like Instagram or some, uh, you know, a social media app. I was just like, this is, and it's better for my brain because I admire like my mother-in-law, she does the crossword puzzle every day and the New York times crossword puzzle. Yeah. I'm like,
1: You're I wouldn't many- even
0: know how to start on the New York times crossword puzzle. And she's just like on it. And her mind is just always going. Well, like, I have I need- a
1: recommendation for you on that front too. If you want to get back to Wordle or any of mm-hmm. these little word games, start a Wordle group chat. I have a Wordle group chat. Sometimes yeah do it every day sometimes they don't make a comment for two weeks but you always can share your wordle score and get a little like bump up of like good job mm-hmm. you solved it um i love my Wordle group chat
0: yeah no we had a we had a family one going with the you know my sister-in-law brother in law yeah so, yeah, that,
1: that, you know, it up. That,
0: yeah, <laughs> well we, we i guess we kind of fell off the world world train but we gotta get it going again <laughs>
1: Time download elevate for when you have to be by yourself.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's perfect. Um, all right, podcast or book recommendation.
1: Oh my gosh. I'm a huge reader. I I pretty much always want to be reading a book. Um, I let's see, podcast recommendation, because I also listen to podcast. I love Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard. I think it's really, really smart. I was just listening to the Anna Kendrick episode, which was phenomenal. Uh, and then book recommendation. Uh well, one of my favorite books of all time is The Goldfinch by Donna Tart. Um, I also love The Heart's Invisible Furies, but I listen to a lot of fiction, or I should say, I read a lot of fiction. I can only listen to nonfiction. But if you want a business po- uh book recommendation because this is a business podcast, I would say Ray Dalio's Principles was great.
0: Got it. Okay, what do you like to do for fun outside of work?
1: read read i i I have a seven-month-old daughter so she pretty much takes up all my free time now
0: that is amazing well jordan thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background story uh your career all the great work you're doing with cobble and all the great advice
1: thank you so much keith this was such a blast thank you for taking the time